Oh, loving God, we thank you for this day, and I thank you for an opportunity to gather in this space without fear of our safety, uh, without fear of repercussions from our government. I just thank you, God, that uh, we are in this time and place in history where we can uh, openly learn about you, uh, openly follow you. And Lord, I just pray for each person in this room and the life and the community they represent. We know as we walk in the space, we each carry with us our own uh, problems, our own joys, our own baggage. And so, God, as we're in this space, I pray that you give us, uh, that we receive your permission and your invitation to set it all down and to be open and present to what you would have us to hear this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Amen. Well, uh, my name is Amber Carroll, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. It is so good to be together today. This uh, message series 90 has been uh, fun for me. I love this uh, journey. I just, my favorite part of preaching, my favorite part of pastoring and leading is to just dive into the scripture and uncover the story that we get to read and we get to experience and we get to live. The living, breathing word of God is amazing. But we're looking at the story of Jesus and his, uh, the way that he walked and his life on earth up until his resurrection. And uh, when you read the Gospels, and those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, two things are abundantly clear when you read those. Uh, number one, being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. And uh, being a sinner doesn't disqualify you. I mean, that's so good. Isn't that great news? Like, we can just kind of come with all of our stuff and, and follow Jesus. So if you've been thinking, like, I, I can't do this whole church thing. I can't, like, open myself up to this because my life, if you knew what was going on in my life, you just wouldn't want me here. Um, I would just say that you can look at the Word of God. You can look at the stories that we have rec- recorded and know that you are not alone that uh, most people, if not all people in Scripture, had something that they didn't feel worthy and felt like they were not welcome into the foot of the cross. But we learned that it's actually a prerequisite to follow Jesus. And and then the, the second thing is that being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you either because all of his followers unbelieved in the end. You know, you're sitting here, and um, maybe some of you aren't even sure that you believe this story. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you're wondering, like, I don't even know if that's true. I don't know if I believe all this. But feel like you're in good company, because all of his believers, like, unfollowed him in the end. Like, if there were social media, they would be like, unfollow, not done. So this is good. We're in good company, right? You can be here with your doubts. You can bring all of it here. And you're welcome to do that. The truth is that we come here with this. And Pastor Andy Stanley has said this, and we've quoted this several times. He said that following Jesus doesn't make you a better person, right? But following Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. And we believe that even if you don't quite believe it yet, we know that why don't you just, like, if, if this is true, if the teaching of Jesus is actually true and will make my life better, even if you believe it or not, just start doing it. Just practice the way of Jesus, and I guarantee you, your life will get better. You'll become more like Jesus. 
And I believe that you'll fall more deeply in love with Jesus with your life. So when we look at the story of Jesus and the people who followed him, the first century people that were in his midst was this whole assortment of people. It's like the, the Russell Stover box of, you know, box of chocolates. You just don't know what you're going to get. Mia got one of those uh, yesterday from her dad. Um, but he had a, an assortment of people. He had small business owners. He had IRS agents, patriots, people who, um, who wanted, like, Israel to reign and Rome to fall, and they believed that Jesus was here, and he could actually do that for them. There were men and women. There were white-collar, blue-collar, no-collar workers. There were not-so-educated people. And then I highlighted the word educated because I want to spend just a second on that. You know, in this post-Christian world that we live in today, people are very quick to want to deconstruct our faith. They want to deconstruct what we know to believe true. And you, you know, if you, are in, if you are in middle school or you are in high school, you have teachers and friends who want to tell you that this isn't true. This isn't the, the faith that we have is not based on evidence. If you were in college, you might have had a professor and who taught you a totally different way, made you totally doubt your faith. And they've said the people who followed Jesus were like ignorant fishermen. Like why would why would we like follow them? You know? But they, 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 they didn't even like speak the the, uh, the New Testament is written in Greek, and these people were Hebrew, and they actually like they spoke in Aramaic. They didn't even um, speak in Greek. They didn't write in Greek. They probably couldn't even write in their own language. So how do we even trust what's written, right? I mean, what, 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 why would we even trust that? But the the timeline will show, and what we read in Scripture will show, and documents and documents will show that it is true, and you can ask it, and you can question it. And some of you in this room might be thinking, I've never wrestled with this. But let me just ease your minds here. When you read the Gospels, you discover that actually there are some educated people who follow Jesus. Um, we, uh, we know that in Matthew, there's a guy who comes to him, and he says, you know, hey, I'm a scribe. I'll follow you everywhere you go. So Jesus attracted all kinds of people. And a scribe, if you didn't know this, is someone who could actually read and write, and in general probably knew two, maybe even three languages. There's a whole idea that we might have heard that we can't believe or trust what was written, that there was ignorant people who were there, and that we just, we can't trust this literature. I'm telling you, that is old, old, old way of thinking, and we can trust what we read. And we'll talk more about that on a different day. But we know today we're going to talk about the people who are following Jesus and more specifically, some of the earliest followers. So I want to catch you up. If you haven't been with us in the last several weeks as we've been in this 90 uh, series, previously on 90, um, we talked about John the Baptist who came to prepare the way for Jesus and he gathered all, his, all these followers together and they were all, he had all their attention and then he took all their attention and he said, hey, and he pointed to Jesus and he said, hey, look, there's the lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And then he baptizes Jesus and Jesus comes up and we think he's about to start his public ministry, but then he disappears into the wilderness to be uh, tempted by the devil. And he wrestles with basically something that he's going to be confronted with his entire ministry, and that is whether to go the way of the world, the kingdoms of the world, or to follow the kingdom of God. 
And then after a season of being tempted, Jesus went back up north to Galilee, closer to where he was from. And uh, it says in Luke, it said that news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Everyone came out to see Jesus, because he was a really big deal. It's a really big deal. So there's this one day, after he's done preaching in the synagogue, this guy named Simon Peter approaches him. And at this time, Simon Peter is no one famous. He's just a regular guy from the community. And he, after the church, synagogue, I didn't have church yet, but after synagogue, he's like, hey, why don't you come over to my house for lunch? And he's like, all right. And he said, oh, by the way, um, while you're there, I might have another uh, ulterior motive. My mother-in-law has a fever. She's had it for a lot of days, and I would really love it if you could, you know, like take care of that. You are who you say you are, right? Heal my, uh, my mother-in-law. So Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law, and he does it on the Sabbath, which they weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. So he, he heals her, and then he says, keep it very quiet. Well, then the news leaked out. People found out, because then it says that at sunset, so by sunset that day, people brought to Jesus all these people who had all kinds of sicknesses, and then it says he laid his hands on each one and healed them. So, so much for keeping it quiet. It's like, shh, don't tell anyone this one lady. And then by the, by the evening, like all these people come, right? So he lays his hands and he heals these people. And this is a really big deal in that culture because you did not associate with people who had illnesses. In this faith system, you weren't even supposed to have anything to do with them because the idea is that you would become contaminated. And they didn't really know about germs at that time, so it was kind of true. Um, uh, like right now we know it's flu season, like don't touch people, like wash your hands. Um, but Jesus, on the, other, uh, you know, on the other side of things, not only was he not afraid of being in the vicinity of people, he actually, he, he touched them, and instead of, being com- instead of becoming contaminated, they would receive healing. So he wouldn't get sick, but they would get healed. This is miraculous. Like, this is overwhelming because in that time, in that culture, and sometimes in the case of our culture, people have associated our sin with our sickness. And how can you even tell if someone has the power to forgive sin, right? So we can't always see our sin. But you can't, you can't tell. But if someone could touch a person and heal that person and make them physically well, then maybe I've gotten the clue I need to think that this person has the power to restore my broken relationship with my heavenly Father and heal me from my own sin. So Jesus begins healing people, and this sets the stage for what comes next, okay? So we get, we get stories of Jesus' ministry through the, through, the, through the Gospels, and Matthew and, uh, gives us a version of this story, and so does Luke. Both stories are true. But Luke's version kind of gives more of a backstory, um, and this is the when Jesus calls his very first followers. But so if you if you're familiar with this, in in Matthew's version, it says that Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and Andrew fishing, and he says to them, "Drop your nets and follow me." And then the text says, "At once they left their nets and followed him, like at once, without any explanation, without any conversation, they did what he said and they followed him." 
And it says they're walking along and they see James and John on a boat fishing with their father. And he says, hey, you two, follow me. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Like, uh, like hey, dad, uh, I know like we're like the plan for the family business and like you're counting on us, but like the fishing thing, but we're going to like, this guy just called us to follow him, so we're going to go. And if you read that, if you read that in that first century, and even reading that now, it might seem um, unrealistic that they would do that without any other explanation. It might seem irresponsible, inconsiderate. Um, you might need a little bit more information. And I know that many of us have heard, or, or I'm not going to assume, but I know that I have heard that whole, like, you know, follow Jesus, like, leave it all. Like, just turn your back on everything, follow Jesus, and, um, like, that's, that's the way to live. And if, if you don't leave everything and follow him, then, you know, there's this guilt trip put on us. And anyway, so there's more to this story. There's more to this story. And so Luke, here's, he writes, uh, Luke's gospel is written mostly to a non-Jewish audience, and so he takes Matthew's story, he validates it, but he puts in the other details that make it make sense to us, to give more of an explanation. So we're going to spend a few minutes on Luke's version of this story, and it's found in Luke 5. If you brought your Bible, feel free to open up to that. It's Luke 5, 1 through 11. So here's how Luke records this part of the story. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is just another name for Galilee, Sea of Galilee, it says the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So important detail here, um, and I want to point this out up front. Uh, if you're new to faith, if you're rediscovering faith, if you're not sure, I just want to mention this. The Christian faith, so not all faiths, not all religions, but the Christian faith began, begins with information. It begins, it began and it begins with information, not faith, okay? It doesn't begin with faith. Christianity is an informed, evidence-based faith. An authentic Christian faith can be questioned. It can be questioned because it began with information. I'd even go far, so far to say as you didn't come into your Christian uh, into your Christian faith by faith, you came in by information. And so follow, stick with me here. If you remember John the Baptist, week one, and he's on the, on, the, on the bank and he's got all these people and Jesus comes and what does he say to the, con- to the crowd? What does he say? Starts with an L. What? When Jesus is walking, he says, look, look, use your eyes, look, right, look, there he is. They're not believe, not trust, or trust me, that the Messiah's coming. He says, what? He says, look, there he is. I want you to look. He's real. We can see him. It's true. It's information. He's here. And so they're, they're listening to Jesus. He's teaching. He's giving information, and they're crowding in on him, and he's, getting, he's kind of backing up, and the crowd's coming in. And he gets to the edge of the bank, and there's nowhere to go. And he looks behind him, and he's like, I don't know if I'm ready to do the whole walking on the water thing yet. So he's, looks, he looks over, and it says, um, he, see, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So a little context, they were washing their nets because um, they had just 
wrapped up their day of fishing. It was, well, their night of fishing. It was probably mid-morning when this was happening. And I learned that um, when you fish at night, you fish with nets because the water's cooler and the fish come to the surface to feed, and so they cast the nets and pull them in. And then when the sun comes up, the water's warmer and the fish go lower. I'm not a fisherman, but that's like, I, think that, I think that's about right. Um, so they've just wrapped up this full night of fishing. They're cleaning their nets. They're drying them. And then it says that Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging, belonging to Simon. And so this is the same one whose house he went to and healed his mother-in-law, the Simon Peter. And he asked him to take the boat, put it out a little from shore, And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, when he had finished giving the information speaking, he says to Simon, okay, so there's this whole crowd listening. He's in the boat. The whole crowd's listening. We know that Andrew and James and John are also a part of this crowd listening. Jesus is done with his sermon. He's done speaking. And instead of like an altar call, instead of at this moment saying, drop your nets, you know, follow me, leave the family business, He's, he, he gives a request to Simon that he knows Simon is capable of. It's something that he can do. It's a bit unexpected, and it's somewhat irrational, but it's a doable request. And, and, and so he gives him this baby step, right? So he's on the boat with Simon, and he says, hey, you know, since we're already out here, why don't you put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch? Which is simple, right? I mean, he's a fisherman, something... He can do, except that they had just cleaned all the nets. They're drying the nets. And Simon answered him, probably like you or I would. Um, he uses this really interesting term, and instead of rabbi or lord, um, we get to that later, he uses a sign of respect, and he says, uh, Master, we've worked hard all night. In other words, we worked hard all night. We're tired We're at the end of a long night, not the beginning. Maybe you slept all night, but like we're we're tired, ready to go home. And you notice we already washed our nets, and we're going to have to rewash them if we throw them back out. And besides that, we've worked all night, and we haven't caught anything. Right? We we already put, like, there's no fish. We've already caught anything. We haven't caught anything when you're supposed to fish. Now you want me to go in the time of day where I'm not supposed to fish. And the odds of us catching anything are really slim. And if memory serves me right, aren't you a carpenter? Like, I'm sure you know a lot about carpentry and wood and stone and whatever that was, whatever that meant back then. And I'm not criticizing you, but you're you're not a fisherman. You don't know anything about fishing. And to add insult to injury, you have this whole crowd of people watching So we're going to pull out, and they're going to watch me fail at the thing I'm supposed to be really good at. I mean, who wants to do that? And this is the part in the story that I love. This is where it changes. This is like the transition point for us all. And I I didn't notice this when I was writing this before, but if if your Christian walk is flat, like if you're just feeling like, you're just going through the motions, you know, it's just not interesting anymore, it's kind of boring. This is the part of the story where everything changes for Peter. You know, it's inconvenient what you're asking me to do, Lord. I don't understand. There's no guarantee that if I throw this out, it'll work. 
but you did heal my mother-in-law, and I probably owe you this request. It doesn't make sense. It's probably going to cost me like a whole day of wages, cost me money, my reputation even. But Jesus, because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is a huge part of the story. Think about it for just a minute. Think about what they didn't know. Like, he had no idea what hung in the balance from this decision. Peter had no idea what was going to happen. Had he not decided this, they would have been a bunch of nameless fishermen from the first century. We'd have no idea who they were. They had no idea what the future would hold in that request. This simple request, not throw down your nets and follow me and follow, leave the family business and, and, and forget everything and follow me. Just go fishing with me. You know, that's all I'm asking. And I know it doesn't make a lot of sense, but will you just trust me? Just take me fishing. And how many times have we been in that situation? Let me ask you right now. What is God asking you to do? What, you know, we don't have any idea what hangs in the balance of our own decision to take the next step for Jesus. We have no idea what hangs in the balance. We don't, we don't know who hangs in the balance. We don't know what relationship we will never experience what joy we might never have, what peace we might never get if we don't respond to the simple invitation to take the next step. And what's true today was true then and is true for our entire lives. And you know that I'm right when I say this, that some of us in this room are just going through the motions. You know, your faith is boring. Your life looks just like the people next to you who don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, you've got everything under control. You don't even need God, right? You don't even need him. You've got it all worked out. Every now and then, you'll, like, take a little step out of your comfort zone, and then that's scary, so then you step right back in. You are invited every second of the day to go one step further with Jesus. And you don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision not to. And just like us, they had no idea. So we'll continue on. And it said this. It said, when they had done so, right? So they threw, he says, I will let down the nets when they had done so. Not when they believed it. um, Not when Jesus, like, filled a bunch of, like, prerequisites first. Like, you know, made all the people go away so they would watch him just in case they failed, you know. Um, Not when they considered it or when they prayed about it or when they felt guilty. When they just acted on it. When they did it. When they, when they, when they when they had done so. You know, throughout Jesus' entire teaching ministry, he, he, he says constantly that it is not just enough to listen or to hear. You have to respond. Hear and do likewise. Trust and obey. Listen. Doing. It's the doing that makes the difference. I heard someone say, um, it's like applied paint. You know, like paint doesn't do anything unless you like, apply it to the wall. And so the text goes on to say that when they had done so, everything changed. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Peter saw this, he cried out, we're rich, we don't have to work for weeks. No, didn't say that. Didn't say that. It says, oh no, who's going to clean all the fish? <laughs> no, it didn't say that either. Um, it says no. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Because how else do you respond? Because he fell at his knees and suddenly fish is the farthest thing from his mind. And he says, go away from me, Lord. And he gives Jesus a new title. He says, Lord, not master, but Lord. And why do you think he says, go away from me? He says, I am a sinful man. Because the assumption there is that God keeps his distance from his people. You know, he's only accessible in the temple by, like, really religious people. The holiest of holies, special priests and rabbis. God distanced himself from sinners. And then suddenly Peter is confronted with Jesus. And obviously Jesus is special. And Jesus should distance himself from Peter because Peter is not worthy. He's a sinful man. Jesus came to reverse the whole thing. This was brand new. Jesus came to establish a brand new way of living where being a sinner would be a prerequisite to come into the presence of God. And at this point, Peter, who's, who would be the very first person to speak the word church, he would, he would preach the first sermon and 3,000 people would come to know Jesus, the one who would lead this brand new movement of the new covenant. But he didn't know it then. It says the text re reads, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Jesus would say this over and over again in his ministry. He's thinking, you know, he's probably thinking, you've seen me heal, and now you've seen me control nature. So you're in my presence. There's nothing to be afraid of. And probably with this, like, giant smile on his face, because I do believe that Jesus, we call him the light of the world. I think, he, I think he just was joyful. I think people wanted to be around him. And I think with a giant grin on his face, he says, um, from now on, you will fish for people. Like, Come on with me. We're going to change the world. So it says, so they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, it makes a little more sense when you know that whole backstory. These four guys would follow Jesus until the very end. And they would die with nothing, including regret. And you would have followed him too, right? I mean, your family would have encouraged you to drop your nets and follow him had you seen that. And the tension I think that we, we feel here, we might be tempted sometimes to say like, um, well, if Jesus would have done that for me in my presence, like I would have followed him too. And I believe if Peter were alive today, he would say, <laughs> seriously? Like, seriously, like, he did, like, some fish stuff for me, and I followed. Do you know what he did for you? Do you realize what he did for you? And, 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 he, and, and Peter, he wrote us a letter. He, he said, you, you, you should. I dictated a letter to you. Peter wrote us his story. In the, in the Bible, we have it recorded he wrote letters to the first century Christians, and they thought it was, like, so valuable that they recorded it to make sure 
that it was carefully preserved for history. And if you have a letter, if you have a Bible, you have a letter from Peter. That's so cool. He would say, like, seriously, don't you realize? Let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. I didn't realize it during this whole, like, fish experience and the multiplication of fish tricks, but I've got some perspective now, and you have to know what happened. You have to know what I witnessed, what I saw with my own eyes. I was with him the night he was taken, and I was there when he was crucified. 1 Peter 2, 23 through 24, he said, he's giving us the story. He says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When they suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus offered himself up. I, Peter, I ran out of fear. I ran when he was arrested. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. And he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live to righteousness. You know, this means that instead of being dead to sin, instead of being separated from God, because of what Jesus did, we can now have a close and intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. We get to live in righteousness. We get to live fearless lives. We get to embrace the kingdom of God. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to resist the ways and the kingdoms of this world. Because by his wounds, you have been healed. You have been made whole. No mere mortal human being can do that. And his physical wounds were ones they could see and touch. And you and I have been healed and restored. And Peter says basically, you know, this fish thing, it's nothing. Nothing compared to the crucified and risen Christ. When Judas showed up that night in the garden with the authorities there, his, his disciples knew what that meant. And they were terrified. And Jesus walked up to his betrayer and turned himself in. Who does that? They knew where it was going to lead. Peter's like, look in hindsight. Hindsight, man, you know what happened. You know the end of the story. Why wouldn't you follow him? Everything he did was for you. Peter's simple act of taking that small step, of that baby step in faithfulness, changed everything. That's the way it works, people. It's simple baby steps. It's stepping faithfully into the next thing that can change it all. I think, I think Peter would ask us, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? I know it seems difficult and it seems challenging, but what are your next steps? What is God calling you into? For some of us in this room, it's just coming back to faith. You've just been gone a while. And Jesus says, I'm here. Open arms. Come to me. For some of you, there are real broken relationships in your life that have just 
consumed you. And you know that you've got a part in it. And maybe your pride has gotten in the way and you haven't known how to make it right. You don't know how to reconcile it. Jesus would just say, you know, you got to deal with it. Confess, repent, apologize, forgive. Do what it takes. You're not alone. That's the way of the world. That's the way of Jesus, not the way of the world. For some in this room, it's moral purity. You know, you've, you've embraced the sex ethic of our culture, pornography, extramural affairs, unhealthy relationships, and it's eating you alive. And sure, maybe it's fun, but you're not happy. It's come between you and God. And our Heavenly Father wants you to know there's nothing you've done, nothing you've done that can separate you from my love. Just come back to me. And maybe you need to take a year off from dating. Maybe you need to take, a, uh, take some time off. You know, baby steps. Like with the family business, maybe you don't need to quit. You just need a vacation. Maybe an extended vacation. Maybe there's some other part of you. Maybe it's serving. Maybe because you've become so comfortable, um, you just are bored and you're not getting fed in church. Maybe you just need to serve. Step out of your comfort zone. Do something that makes you pray for God to give you the strength and courage. For some of you, it's stuff. You're just so consumed with your own stuff, you know? And it's time for you to be a generous person with your finances. You know, maybe even not necessarily to this church, but you've grown up in church long enough to know that, you know, when your priorities are off, when you're just kind of giving God your sleepy leftovers. You know, what changes need to be made? What kind of baby steps is God inviting you into? What daily, weekly, monthly, yearly habits do you have that you could set on the shelf for a time to practice generosity and test God in that and see how the floodgates will open? And I know you're afraid. And I know sometimes it seems scary. But are we going to live our whole lives afraid of things we have no control over? What we can control is our decision to follow Jesus with our whole life. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that our God wants that for you. That Jesus came to show us that and show us how to live. And he's inviting you right now into that. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, what are you waiting for? I'm inviting you. You are invited today to change that for um, I'm, we're going to respond by singing. We're also going to respond this morning by, uh, with our generosity through our offering. Um, I'm going to ask those who are helping with the uh, offering this morning to come forward. But on that Connect card on the back, there's a place for prayers and for praises. And is there, if there is something that you've been wrestling with that you need some prayer, let us know. You know, oftentimes we look at the church as like the answer to, to, to solve all of the things going on in our lives. We, we get uh, frustrated that the church won't uh, meet our needs or whatever it is. I'm going to say like we are called into relationship with other people. And we don't know what you need unless you tell us. No one can help you unless you tell them, you let them into your life. And I know I know it's hard and it's vulnerable and it's scary to let people into your heart and into let people into your life. 
But until you do, we can't walk with one another. We can't bear each other's burdens. And so I invite you, like, let us know. Let us know. Let me pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making a way for us. Thank you for wanting to touch and heal the lives of the broken and the sinful. Lord, there, is, there are people in this room who have been wrestling with whether or not to follow you or to buy into this whole thing, and right now they're feeling a stirring in their heart, and God, I just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to just move in them. And for those of you who are here today who want to take that step, there's not a magical prayer, but if you pray with me in your heart and your spirit, you just say, Lord, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I know I cannot do this without you. Lord, I give you my life. I recognize my need for you. Be the center of my life. Walk with me. Show me how to follow you. Show me how to walk faithfully. Baby step every step of the day, every step of my life. And God, as we gather in this space and we walk next to one another, I just pray that you give us the eyes, eyes and ears to just hear and see those around us who need you. Give us the courage to step out, to take someone for a cup of coffee or a lunch or something to let them know they're not alone. Thank you for promising to always be with us. And Lord, for those in this room who've been following Jesus, who made the decision to follow Jesus their whole life, I pray that you give them the courage to continue and fight the good fight. And know that they've chosen to follow you, no turning back. Lord. We offer this morning to you our gifts, our offerings to you. We offer our lives in the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray.